Welcome to Bookish Memories. Books are special. They can be the written words of your joy or the comforting hug for your sorrows. So put on your reading glasses, make yourself a nice mug of tea, and come join me down my memory lane full of books. Hello everyone and welcome back to Bookish Memories. This is Bethany and I hope you're doing well. I apologize for any background noises I'm, you might be hearing right now because it's been raining and I've tried to find a quiet space to record in my flat but apparently it is really hard to find because I live in a city and then it is um, it's quite a small space that I live in so it's yeah it, it was hard um, and uh, also if you hear any um, like someone knocking on the door that's not I'm I'm not being <laughs> broken in it is um, there's a construction going upstairs and another one downstairs which is kind of a miracle that have I have not yet have a breakdown up until this point um, yeah so it is well, it, this kind of brings me to the book that I want to talk about today. Um, I mean, in times like these, that when you're kind of in an quote-unquote undesirable situation, you just kind of wish that you're living in an entirely different world, that you are somewhere really far away and then you're close to nature and then in this magical world. And I think... It is what the genre fantasy books provide in... It, it gives us a, a sort of um, escapism. Uh, the escapism in the genre is exactly what offer comfort in times like these, in, in difficult situations like these. And the imaginary setup offers you a kind of different um, perspective on your life in a way, because it is fictional, but also in some sense it is kind of real um so yeah i think what i like about fantasy books is that when i finish the read i go back to my realities with newly gained courage and then i could face whatever difficulties i'm facing in real life and also i hope this really the podcast of mine can at least offer some peace and calm while you while you're listening, whatever you're going through right now. Um, I was going to let you guess what book I am about to talk today, but I think my sort of um, introduction to the genre might have been a really big giveaway, but um, I'm still going to read out the first paragraph from the first chapter of the novel and let you guess which one it is. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Number 4 Private Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious, because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. It is, of course, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Ten points to whichever house you're in, to whoever got it. Now, initially, I was quite confused by the title because I thought it was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. 
that was the like when I first heard the English title, I heard it um the sorcerer's one, and apparently so so I did some some googling to this, which is uh, maybe Wikipedia page. So apparently, when the book was published in the U.S., the titles was changed to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It was published under that title. Um, this is what I found. Quote. Scholastic author Levine thought that philosopher sounded too archaic for readers, and after some discussion, the American edition was published in September 1998 under the title J.K. Rowling suggested Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Rowling later said that she regretted this change and would have fought it if she had been in a stronger position at the time. End of quote. I think... Um, well, of course, it's understandable. She was just starting out her career as a writer, so of course she would be in a difficult position to fight for uh, her own um, arguments in this kind of situation. That is understandable. Uh, in case you don't know, um, in, in Taiwan, we mainly speak uh, Mandarin. Uh, Taiwanese is a dialect. So yeah, Mandarin is my first language. And so, as a second language learner, I I would associate the word sorcerer to like having some kind of possessing some kind of magical powers than the word philosopher. In in I think in in today's society we use the word philosopher referring to philosophy. <laughs> Sorry, that is a circular definition, but um, the word to me has the association more to like uh, philosophy, ideology, which is related to thinking rather than um, performing some kind of magical actions. So, which is very interesting because in the same Wikipedia page, um, it also said that Philip Nell, who is a scholar of children's literature, has, quote, pointed out that the change lost the connection with alchemy and the meaning of some other terms changed in translation, end of quote. Which is very interesting because I also, I, I was quite confused about this whole um, notion around philosopher and sorcerer, of philosopher being more having more of a connection with alchemy than the word sorcerer does. Which is very interesting to me, as I said, as a second language learner, that is not something I would associate with. I think it also has something to do with me learning like the most commonly used definition of a certain word. And so I don't necessarily know about the history behind the word. And that is something quite intrigues me quite a lot. So when I also did um, the research in, into this episode, I found that so t- today we the thing that we call science, which obviously includes um, subjects like chemistry, physics, it, it used to be referred to under the name of natural philosophy, which is, I think from a historical perspective, that is, science is a thing that um, is trying to figure out the um, philosophy of the natural world. So, 
how the natural world works, the rules in or the principles in in the natural world, and so that is um, more related to thinking, like as in the word philosopher, and 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 alchemy is exactly in falls under that field. So I find that very fascinating. When I first read it, I think I was about ten or eleven, so around the the age I was reading Sherlock Holmes. I first read the edition I borrowed from uh, the school library. So um, one thing very interesting to mention is that the uh, Mandarin Chinese edition has the cover of the US edition. Um, so I thought I I was very surprised to find out that it's got a different cover. When it was published in the United Kingdom, um, I remember carrying like I was so obsessed with the series. I used to carry around two massive volumes. So, uh, with the Mandarin Chinese edition, the fifth and the seventh novel are separated into two volumes, and so. Those two massive volumes, I would carry them around, despite only having started the first volume. I was just so worried that I would finish the first one and w- would not be able to continue the second one. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would carry them around like a like a massive nerd. <laughs> and another quite interesting thing relating to me reading the novel was that we. In in primary school, we used to have this um, class that we called reading class. So, so basically, the whole class would be taken to the school library for like we we'd have a reading session and we could get whatever we wanted to read. So I remember the layout of the school library, and everyone was so we we have a a lane like like a like a a shelf. Line next to each other, as you would see in any library, and on on the shelf that got that's got um, Sherlock Holmes and and Harry Potter and other translated fiction of the same about the same genre. Next to that shelf was the um, I think it was it was a uh, it's called Goosebump. This is a series called. Goosebumps, and it's like a very, like a very thin, and easy read that is kind of like another kind of, another level of excitement, and so I remember I was the only one in the aisle that's got the shelf of Sherlock Holmes and, and Harry Potter, and everyone else, like every other girls in in my class was like crammed next to the 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 aisle next to it reading the Goosebumps series and I was only one like alone in that aisle like reading over Harry Potter so yeah I because of that I really really admire Hermione Granger in the novel because apparently she she loved reading in the film adaptation she was reading like a massive book and she referred to it as a light read when they were trying to find out um who uh Nicholas Fumel is, which is um uh the philosopher and is in the novel. Um Hermione was to t- to me I also like in in the same way I looked up to Sherlock Holmes, I 
was in a way trying to imitate or, or like act in a way Hermione does in the novel in my like when I was reading the Harry Potter novel because I just love the qualities that I saw in her. She loved reading, she has great academic achievements and that was exactly what I was in, in school. I saw myself in her. I I definitely loved Hermione Granger and I remember thinking that I want to be called Hermione as my English name as well. Um, also, another thing I remember doing relating to the Harry Potter novel was, uh, especially this one, was um, there was some metaphor that I took and used it in my own writing. Uh, what happened prior to this point in the, in the novel was that Harry, uh, Hagrid came to visit Harry and then told him that he was a wizard and he was going to this magical school called Hogwarts. And they went to sleep and Harry woke the next morning thinking that it was all a dream and he was going to wake up and found that nothing was real. But then it didn't. So here is a description of how happy he felt. Harry scrambled to his feet, so happy he felt as though a large balloon was swelling inside him. That was the that was the metaphor I used in my writing, and I remember the teacher because because we have to do like um, uh, not I'm not sure the the word for it, but a bit like prose writing and in Mandarin. And so I remember the teacher commented on the metaphor and said that it was brilliantly used, and I I remember feeling so ashamed because I nicked that from somewhere like. I nicked that from the novel I read. Of course, I wasn't aware of the idea of a plagiarism. I mean, I was only 10 years old. You wouldn't blame that, would you, for a 10-year-old doing that? But, yeah, I remember that that was the, that was kind of the, the point where, looking back, I know... Because people often say that if you want to write well, you have to read well. So if you read a lot and then you are constantly having these inputs of um, um, writing skills, you have, you kind of have this, you're subconsciously learning what's good and what's bad, and so that will affect your writing. I think that was the, 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 the kind of moments that when you look back, you see, oh, that was what I was doing. Well, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a good writer, I'm definitely not, but... Um, yeah, it is one of those moments where you think, oh, I'm, I was doing something for myself when you look back. This is going to cause some contro- controversy, but I think with any series, whether it is novels or films, the first one is going to be the best of it all. I mean, a lot of people were going to disagree me, with me on this, but I just think... Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is the best out of the seven books in the series. And also the the film adaptation, the first one, is the best. Because I think, for, for me, it is the, the, um, the introduction to this completely different world. And you get all these first impressions and you're 
you feel amazed for the first time ever. And I think that is just such a nice feeling that when you read it, read the first one again and again and again, you still get that amazement inside you. That is, that is just wonderful. And so, yeah, I think that's why I love the first one so much. Well, you may be thinking, well, I'm talking about Anthony Hogwarts, but I'm actually not. In the novel, they first, um, Harry and Hagrid first go to the um, uh, place called Diagon Alley, which is Harry's first impression of the magical world. It is completely different from the uh, Muggle world. Muggle is a word used in the novel that refers to people that are not magical, which is you and me, basically. <laughs> the, um, the people reading the novel. We are all muggles, obviously. The magical thing about the first book in the series and the first book in the franchise is that you are, yeah, like I said, you are introduced to this completely different world and then you're seeing this magical world built in front of you for the first time. And that is my, like, Diagon Alley is the f reader's first impression into this magical world that Harry is now stepping into. So this is um this is a description taken from um the chapter called Diagon Alley. I'm not sure if I I'm always confused if I'm pronouncing this right. Please correct me if I'm wrong. If you're kind enough to leave like a um a, a comment under the Instagram post, or just you know you can send me a message and tell me that I've pronounced it wrong basically my whole life. Um. Because Harry needs to get his school supplies to get to Hogwarts, and then so he is taken to a place that he could get all these things. He tapped the wall three times with the point of his umbrella. The brick he had touched quivered. It wriggled in the middle. A small hole appeared. It grew wider and wider. A second later, they were facing an archway, large enough even for Hagrid. He's a he's a uh, he's a giant, an archway onto a cobbled street which twisted and turned out of sight. Welcome, said Hagrid, to Diagon Alley. He grinned at Harry's amazement. They stepped through the archway. Harry looked quickly over his shoulder and saw the archway shrink instantly back into a solid wall. The sun shone brightly on a stack of cauldrons outside the nearest shop. Cauldrons. All sizes, copper, brass, pewter, silver, self-stirring, collapsible, said a sign hanging over them. Yeah, you'll be needing one, said Hagrid, but we gotta get your money first. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really bad impression of Hagrid, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not that good at doing different accents. I'm, I'm sorry to anyone who loves Hagrid and his accent really, really in the films. And so basically that is Harry's first glimpse into the magical world and if you if you have seen the film adaptation that is also where you can imagine like the dramatic music playing and then you see all this world like people wearing wearing robes and then owls flying around and there are shops that's got wands and cauldrons in them which you don't see in your muggle mundane life. I was really disappointed to find out for to find out that 
I wasn't in Gryffindor. So Harry Potter has now grown into such a huge fandom. And then there's this website called Pottermore where you can get tested and see um, which Hogwarts house you are in. Uh, I think it is called the Wizarding World now and you can also get tested for which one that you're supposed to have and then what your Patronus is. A Patronus is a, a charm that is used against uh, kind of monsters in the novel. Okay, so back to Hogwarts House. Hogwarts has four houses, Gryffindor, Slytherin, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff. Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger, they are the three main characters of this novel. They all belong to the house Gryffindor. And so each house has a kind of trace to them. When they, when they get into Hogwarts, they will be sorted into these four houses and the house will be their home at Hogwarts. The method for them to get sorted into these houses is through a sorting hat, which is a hat that can talk and well, and can also, I think, read your mind and to see um, your personality traits and see which house you belong into. So I'll read out the sorting hat sing a song of the qualities of these four houses. Oh, you may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. You can keep your bowlers black, your top hat sleek and tall, for I'm the hog with sorting hat and, and I can cap them all. There's nothing hidden in your head the sorting hat can't see. So try me on and I will tell you where you ought to be. You might belong in Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and chivalry sets Gryffindors apart. You might belong in Hufflepuff, where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and afraid of toil. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you're a ready mind. Where those of wits and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. So put me on, don't be afraid, and don't get in a flap. You're in safe hands, though I have none. For I'm a thinking cap. Because Ron, Harry, and Hermione, especially Hermione, are in Gryffindor, I wanted to be in Gryffindor as well. When I did the test on Portamore, I got sorted into Ravenclaw and I was I was really sad because I wanted to be like the main characters and thinking about if if you read the following novels you see that we've got the heroes from Gryffindor basically Slytherin is the evil house they've got the really annoying character called Draco Malfoy who is a bully and they've got Lord Voldemort which is the main villain in the series. He's also from uh, Slytherin. It, I mean, is you'd be seen as kind of evil and bad if you get sorted into Slytherin, but it's still cool, right? It is the villain house, if you, if you can say it that way. And a Hufflepuff, you've got the hero in the fourth novel, Cedric Diggory, and they are also said to be really loyal and 
and friendly. They're like the like the the friendly house. And also in the following uh movies that's been released these past few years, Fantastic Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the main character News Commander is also is also from Hufflepuff. And then you get Ravenclaw. The second he's not exactly a villain, but he uses some kind of very unorthodox methods to trick people. He is Professor Gilderoy Lockhart and he is from Ravenclaw and Show Zhang. It's really weird pro- okay, side note. It's really weird pronouncing Chinese names in English because I would be wanting to pronounce them in Chinese, but it is slightly different when you said it in like uh, like like English. So well I'll say her name in, in Chinese, that's that's easier. Um Zhang Zhang Qiu, she is a in the films, I think in the film she betrayed Harry and his friends, but in the novel it is her friends. I think her friend that betrayed Harry and and his friends. I think they're both in Ravenclaw as well. And so, just just reading the novels and watching the films, I didn't particularly like the house Ravenclaw. Of course, Ravenclaw is a house that celebrates creativity and... It it is said that Ravenclaws are really good at academic achievements. We are really competitive, and we are creative. We often think outside the box, but that is only what I am seeing right now. After I've accepted that I am in the house Ravenclaw, I didn't like it as less much when I first found out because I just thought there were a lot of people whom I don't particularly like that is in Ravenclaw. And I didn't, when I read about the traits of a Ravenclaw, I didn't see myself as that. I I didn't have a lot of self-esteem or like self-confidence when I was younger. I was this nerdy, bit shy, young girl just likes to read. And I didn't consider myself as a creative person. I would see other people come up with new ideas and then feel completely incompetent. And I just didn't see why I would be placed in Ravenclaw. But then, as I grew older, I could start to see why. I I really love learning, and that is something Ravenclaws do. We are curious about the world, and we love learning new things, and we like to perform good in the academics, and then creativity is something I've only realized until recently. I, like I said, I, I did a year abroad in, in Durham, and I found out so much about myself during that year, and amongst them was that I am creative. I'm in this society called Durham University's Audio Drama Society. I've seen people who are actors and then who are just great actors and they could come up with something completely original at the snap of a finger. And I'm just not. But working with those people, being in that environment, made me realize that I am creative. I am creative inside the box, if you, if you can put it that way. It's like coming up with solutions and like dealing with situations. Um, I find that creativity in me. 
it, it's like something you like like stacking. But I started slowly to realize over the years that I am a Ravenclaw, and this is something like like I said a bit earlier in this episode, like going back to your reality, feeling more courageous than you started this novel. Harry Potter was initially directed to young audience, children and, and young adults, but I think the reason why it is so celebrated even amongst fully grown adults is that you take away what you take away in the novel, no matter which age you're at. And having read this like 10, 12 years ago, and I'm still learning from this novel, realizing more about myself through reading, is what I appreciate about, well, reading actually. <laughs> and I am, I have now fully accepted that I am a Ravenclaw, I am curious, I am creative, and I'm nerdy. And that's okay. And I hope that whoever, whoever you are, whatever you are feeling bad about yourself right now, that one day you'll reach a point where you can fully accept yourself as you are, because you're an amazing person. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. If you want to know more about the book that I talked about, follow me on Instagram at bookish.memories. All letters are lowercases. Now put on your reading glasses, maybe make yourself a nice mug of tea, and enjoy your next good read.